you kill Meredith Kircher? No. Were you there that night? No. Do you know anything you have not told police? No. Italians are calling this the trial of the decade. We weren't best friends, but I was so shocked by what happened to her. Her friends were telling us how Amanda had been behaving, performing cartwheels and kissing each other. This does not look like grief. I mean, who behaves like that? Of course she did it. She's mad. Perché la calunniate? Mi potete dare una risposta? Ma chi è responsabile? È il vostro. That's everyone's nightmare. Either I'm a psychopath in sheep's clothing, or I am you. Hello, popsters. It is a true crime crossover episode. And um, this week we are talking about... Miss Amanda Knox and how she has not stayed out of the headlines since being exonerated um, for the second time in 2015. Um, For the, um, she was sent to prison for almost four years um, for um, being accused of murdering her roommate. Meredith Kircher, her and her boyfriend were accused of this. Her boyfriend, um, Rafael Solicita, while um, Amanda was studying abroad in Perugia, Italy. And um, since being exonerated, coming back to the States, Amanda has moved on and um, she actually had a stint. She finished out her University of Washington um, degree. She had a stint as a vice journalist um, for the show Vice, um, the news journalism show. She also um, has a podcast with her husband that she married in 28, Christopher Robinson, um, called Labyrinths, which is talks a little bit about everything, talks about... Um, labyrinths in people's lives and different types of passages and different ways to get from here to there. It's a little bit, um, it's not a bad podcast, um, but it's really about everybody's individual journeys in life and what have you. So, and narratives and things like that, but it's, it's done pretty well. But most recently, she was in the news because she um she spoke up against the release of the um 2021 fictionalized fi- fictionalized film uh called Stillwater um Tom McCarthy who Directed Spotlight. If you've ever seen Spotlight, it's pretty excellent. Which is based on a true story. Um, And I'm hearing great reviews of this movie. But it is about a father who is traveling to Marseille, France. Because his daughter has been um, in jail there. And she is being convicted of murdering her roommate. 
while she was there studying abroad. And um, she, Knox has been very public and she is accusing Matt Damon and Tom McCarthy um, of ripping off her story without her consent. Now, at least two or three different times, the director and Matt Damon said this was pulled from the Amanda Knox story or inspired by, and now they're kind of doubling down and not saying it is, but I mean, I think it, I think without the Amanda Knox story, there is no Stillwater movie. Um, Still, it's not going to keep me from watching it because it looks like a good movie. But um, there was really only one other movie, and it was on the Lifetime Network in 2011. It was rough. It was called Amanda Knox Murder on Trial in Italy with Hayden Panettiere playing Amanda Knox. And it's not a... I would say it is not an overwhelmingly sympathetic depiction of Amanda Knox. It's also not, I don't know, I also don't think it's devastating, but it it does highlight the many quirks of this person. And while some people would immediately think that she was guilty, um, Amanda Knox is also very involved as an activist now working working closely on events with the Innocence Project. So probably involved a little bit with uh, Miss Kim Kardashian, I'm thinking. Um, and um, prior to Labyrinth, she also hosted a podcast called The Truth About True Crime. And so she's not shied away from the spotlight. So I did find... In, not shied away from the spotlight, often talking about her trial. So I did find it a little bit um, ironic that uh, she was kind of so up in arms about this. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess I can understand it. It wasn't that long ago. Um, but yeah, so... How did we get here with Miss Amanda Knox? And what do you know about her? Do you know anything about her? She was kind of hard. <laughs> the story was pretty hard to avoid um, when this happened because it was everywhere. And it became an international story, obviously, because you had an American in Italy, an American from Seattle, and you had the murder of this English student, also an exchange student. Um, so when things started leaking out and the press, many of the press and many specifically from like daily news level press. So some really skeezy quote unquote press were given inside information at different times from police, from prosecutors, and it wasn't always correct. And it was really so they could build really crazy headlines about this. So 
that's something to keep in mind. Um, but again, she's being brought up right now because of this movie. And lately, every time a movie comes out, something else seems to be superseding it. Because it kind of happened within the Heights, which everybody... The colorism became the issue and people forgot about like really looking at the movie to see if it was good. And um, even though this movie's getting really good reviews, definitely I would say her um, speaking out against it is definitely elevating more about this movie than I think any... than I think would have happened before, if I'm making any sense. I'm not being very clear. But... um, A little bit about Amanda. By the time she... Um, Amanda had, Amanda grew up in the Seattle area. She's kind of a quirky, Harry Potter loving girl who played soccer, did a lot of musical theater that made a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense when you see her speak to people, the whole actress part. Um, kind of nerdy. Um, you know, hung out with friends, like to smoke pot every now and again, that type of person. She was very passionate about uh, languages. She was somewhat fluent in German, German already, and she was learning Italian. She was not fluent in Italian by the time, by the time she decided to become an exchange student. So when she's 20, so I think about her sophomore year or summer going into her junior year perhaps, she um, decides to take the trip to Italy. She had gone to Italy before when she was about 15. She fell in love with it. She decided to um, explore Perugia, which is right in the middle of Italy, really known for universities. They attract a lot of foreign exchange students there. It's gorgeous, lots of valleys, mountains, also known for like a world-renowned chocolate festival. But um, even her, you know, her going there, her stepfather was a little wary of her going. He thought that she was definitely not street smart enough and maybe not emotionally mature enough to be taking this trip which she probably wasn't um (laughs) at all um but you know she was kind of wilding out you know when she got there um she didn't even well, she got, she was going to a specific university and, um, and she really wasn't sure of what her course load was going to be. She thought it was going to be much more intense. She waited until she had traveled over there and that's when she decided to look for housing, which I thought was interesting. So that wasn't handled beforehand. And she was like one of those public boards and she saw that there was... Um, a couple Italian law students who were looking for roommates. 
Um, and it was like in a cottage. And she took the number and she had found a, found a place to live, which was great. So she would come to move into this place. Um, this beautiful cottage overlooking a valley in Perugia. There was, I think, four students living, not four students, I think they were Italian students, uh, guys, living below while the girls were on the top. So there were two, um, so there were four girls on top. So there were two Italian law students or pre-law students. And then you had Meredith, who was from Leeds and she um, she was an exchange student and she was studying international finance at a more more prestigious university than Amanda was. Amanda was under this impression as I said before that her curriculum was going to be very difficult and apparently she started going to class there and she had a lot more time. So, you know, idle hands. That's probably was not a great, (laughs) probably not a great thing for her to have extra time. So, um, Meredith ended up moving in September 10th and Amanda ended up moving in September 20th. I'm pretty sure prior to that for a for a couple weeks. I'm not sure when she got over to Italy, but I know for at least one week she was running around with her one sister. I'm I'm pretty sure. Exploring Italy, having a little fun, meeting people, what have you. But she was kind of getting bored with this unambitious workload, so she ended up getting a job at at a bar called Le Chic. And there was an owner and he was Congolese born immigrant named Patrick Lumumba and he hired her and he thought it would be good, might be a good thing to attract people into the bar. Her being this like pretty blonde, blue eyed American. So she was definitely, and it was brought up often, she's a very pretty girl, but she nobody really would notice much. <laughs> she didn't, you know, she didn't really super stand out. Super stand out. Great wording. Um, when she was in Seattle, looked like any other, you know, white girl. But she did stand out when she was in Italy, as being the as being an American, apparently. So he was you know, kind of happy for her to be working there. Um, And she had kind of a dicey, apparently, uh, work style in which she socialized probably a little bit too much and did a little bit less work. That could just be a personality thing with her. But um, it was mentioned a couple times in things that Early on when she got that job, she was always trying to get, you know, friends and different people to, you know, come there. But it really wasn't that cool of a place. So Meredith had already made different British friends in Italy. And they, I think they had hung out there once with kind of some eye rolls about Amanda. So 
I don't think, I think Amanda was kind of much more out there and not super discreet and seemed probably a little bit loud compared to her roommate Meredith, who she had shared a bathroom with and they were located right next to each other in the house, who was a little bit, um, I don't know, shyer, but more reserved. So that was definitely mentioned a few times. Even though they had done a couple things together, they were, Meredith, it appeared, definitely already had kind of a set of friends, which makes sense if, you know, she was a couple years older than Amanda. She was like 22. She was studying something very specific at university. And it just kind of makes sense that she probably was hanging out with different people in her area of study and she knew a lot of she knew a lot more people than Amanda did there so the um, area of Perugia just to let you know what they were (laughs) what they were famed for always saying is there had not been a murder there I don't know if this is true um, in, in, in 2007, there hadn't been a murder there for 20 years and that it was kind of this idyllic, a magical town. Now, I have a hard time believing with all of the different people coming in and out, different students from all over, that there wasn't more crime than that. Um, but it, it definitely was a place compared to like a Florence that it was a student hub, really. It was not this touristy area. And it was another reason what that really attracted Amanda. She thought she would be able to immerse herself more in the culture there than if it was more of a tourist spot, like where she had visited when she was younger. So... So, Amanda was working at um, Le Chic, and the guys that are living down below Amanda and the girls, the two Italians, her and Meredith, um, four Italian guys, one of them, um, Giacomo Salenzi, had, had hooked up with Meredith in the middle of October, I don't really know if they were considering themselves boyfriend and girlfriend, but something had happened with them. They had definitely hooked up after a night out. But the guys would all play basketball with, um, there was a guy named Rudy Grodet, who was an immigrant from the Ivory Coast, spoke fluent Italian, and he would often be at least on two occasions that Amanda recalled in some of the Italians that um, he was there. He had run into Meredith and Amanda at least twice with just hanging out with those boys. So he knew that both of those girls lived above them. So this wasn't a huge It wasn't like a complete stranger. Rudy's going to be very important in this story because he really, there is really the only proof around anybody 
true uh, proof around anybody that could have harmed Meredith is via Rudy Gaudet's DNA. Which you would think would be enough in this case, but it it just isn't. Um, But I think one of the most important things to know is that they had hung out with him. They had definitely hung out with Rudy. Definitely a little bit in that boy's apartment, listening to music, smoking pot. And apparently he may... um, I don't think he was like a pot dealer or anything, but he did have a record already. He... um, I don't know if there was anything violent, but he was... There was a couple incidents of him breaking into people's homes. Very important. So, by the end of October, really close to Halloween, October 25th, Meredith and Amanda end up going to a free concert. And at this point, Amanda meets Rafael Solicito, who's a 20-year-old software engineer from Bari, Italy, so from the southern, from southern Italy, and, um, he's coming from some money, but she notices him, he looks, as she claims, as an Italian, looks like an Italian Harry Potter, I didn't know that was a thing to be attracted to, but for her, it is doing it for her, and, um, he speaks English, Probably at the same level that she speaks Italian. So, I guess they understand each other enough to hang out that night, smoke some weed, have some sex, and they become kind of um, glued to each other for the next week. You know, just uh, whirlwinds. She gets done with class. She goes and looks for Raffaele. I mean, that's her days for the next for the next week or so. So they're not they're by each other's side the whole time. His house is um, only a five minute walk for her from the cottage that she lives into. So there's pluses with that, and it also sounds like um. Ex- she was kind of looking for something like this. And why I say that is because even though she was friendly, there was definitely parts of her personality that were not jiving um, with some folks. And I don't think she was really making the friends. Um, Either she was clueless about it or she wasn't clueless about it, but um, I don't think she was really making you know, the companions quite yet. So I think this was probably really comforting that she had this puppy dog following following after her a little bit. Um, so, again, they're like, you know, not leaving each other's side for about a week. Um... The last time Amanda sees Meredith is October 31st, which is a Halloween. And Amanda worked that night at Le Chic. 
Meredith had gone out with a bunch of her friends. Halloween was her favorite holiday. Dressed up as a little vampire. And the next day was a public holiday. So all of the Italians who lived in the cottage, including the guys downstairs, um, and including the lawyers, they had left for holiday. They were, they weren't gone that far from Perugia, but they were gone. So the night, so November 1st, Amanda was supposed to work that night. She had texted, her boss had texted her and told her, we're dead tonight. You don't have to come in. She texted him back in Italian. Um, this is where interpretation gets off. Um, great, have a great night and I'll see you later. So the way Americans say, see you later. Well, how that's interpreted becomes something different. Again, she's at a beginner level, I would say. I'd say beginner, almost intermediate level of Italian. Um, By the time she's done with this odyssey, she will be fluent. But at this time, you know, she's still learning sayings and meanings and everything like that. So... That night, she apparently, for some reason, <laughs> turns her phone off after um, she gets that text from Patrick, which becomes a bone of contention for the prosecution. They think that looks sketch. Um, I think her and Raphael smoke more weed, watch Amelie fall asleep. Probably have sex in there. Next morning, apparently she's not going to take a shower there because there's some type of plumbing issues. And she also is thinking about there's no bucket and mop at Raphael's. Raphael's. Um, So she's like, I'm going to walk home in the morning, which she does. And when she returns to the cottage, she notices that the clasp, like the door handle, it's open. So like the swinging door, the um, the the lock looks broken on it. But she had mentioned that there had been some problems with it before, still sketch. So she goes in there. She also notices when she goes into the bathroom, no one's there. She knows the Italians are gone because of the holiday, but she doesn't see or hear Meredith. Um, so she goes in there, she goes into the bathroom, sees a couple specks of blood on the faucet that doesn't freak her out, takes a shower, gets out. The bath mat has a bloody footprint on it. I have no idea why that didn't freak her out. But she said in interviews that she was thinking, well, you know, maybe somebody was on their period. Maybe somebody cut their hand. Maybe somebody cut their foot when they were shaving. Something like that. I mean, she is chill. I don't know if she smoked up right before she left, but much chiller. Then the crazy thing that she finds is, now mind you, this is a shared bathroom that is shared between her. I think there was two bathrooms. One shared with the Italians, and then her and Meredith shared this bathroom, the second one upstairs. And um, 
somebody had shit and not flushed it. So to her, um, that was the final thing. Also, she noticed that Meredith's door was locked. So she must have gone up there and checked on the door, I'm thinking, locked. She said that seemed odd. Now, mind you, at this point, this is November 1. So she has, she moved, Amanda moved in September 20th. Um, so this is like a month, <laughs> a month and two weeks that she has lived in this cottage and been roommates with all of these folks that all of this stuff goes down which is crazy like the short time period and she's only been with Raffaele for a week too so this was something that was very misinterpreted in the news as well they everybody was acting like she had been in this long love affair with this Italian for months they'd known each other a week it was whirlwind um so this freaks her out all of these things she calls Philomena which is one of the Italian roommates um, saying that she doesn't know where Meredith is also telling her like about the the door how it was broken and the blood spatters and what have you then she calls her mom in the states um, then she goes back to Raphael's house and tells him about this situation and he had even said you know it's a little off that I thought it was a little weird that she still took a shower Um, exactly um which is like the crazy thing um and also apparently she still had enough thought around all of these things that by the time the cops showed up It looked real sus because she was taking a, um, she had a bucket and a mop. And I think the intention at one point, she said she was going to bring it over to Raphael's because of the plumbing issue. It just seemed like a very weird timing to do this. Um, (laughs) with everything else going on. So... She um she asked Raffaele to like break the door down. He can't break the door down. He calls the Carbonieri, which is the Italian police, and reports what happens, you know, like all the suspect stuff in there, that the door is locked, that it's usually not locked, that they don't know if there's been a burglary. It looks like there was a burglary. You know, something's going on and they need the cops there. Ironically, Um, And Amanda had tried calling Meredith before, but it just rang and rang. Ironically, the, um, it's kind of like the telecom, the TCOM, the telecommunications police. So the police that work specifically with anything regarding communication. So in this case, um, not that far away, somebody had reported that they found a cell phone. And the cell phone happened to be Meredith's. And they were able to do something to figure out that this was Meredith's. So they were returning. Those folks showed up. Those police officers showed up. The telecommunications police officers. So they're there. 
the other, the Carbonieri show up, one of Philomena's friends, even before the cops get there, they break down the door. One of her friends, this guy does. And the moment the door is finally broken down as the, as the cops get there, um, they're like shocked to find Meredith. They just see her foot, but her body is underneath a comforter. She's been murdered. Death by um, loss of blood. And she was stabbed multiple times. And the room is bloody. The comforter's been thrown over her body. She's partially nude. And um, already there's too many people in this crime scene. So already you're starting to see some potential issues right now with evidence, crime scene procedures, all of that. And um, everybody's pretty shocked. The um, the first detective on the scene, her name was Monica uh, Napolo- Napo- Napo- Napoleone. <laughs> Napoleone. And um, my Italian is rough today. Um, she found Amanda's everything about Amanda to be troubling. Some of the way that some of the ways that she responded. There also the media like descended upon the cottage and the photographs and the videos they kept on showing were of Amanda outside with Raffaele and they were kissing each other. And the Italian um, media went crazy and the British media went crazy saying that they were being inappropriate. But if you really look at this, they're really not being that. It's more of a comforting type. She looks shell-shocked and he looks like he's really just comforting her. But um, Giuliana Menini, who would be the prosecutor at this case, who was also on this crime scene. So just about everybody's on this crime scene going in and out. People are in rooms that they're not supposed to be in. People don't have the protective equipment on. It's a hot mess. Um, he's also making commentary about her odd behavior. So over the next few days, Amanda's interviewed multiple times. Um, and um, her behavior at the um, at the police station is being told by many people very odd. At one point, she's waiting for Raffaele to be interviewed or he's being interviewed for a couple hours. And apparently she's doing yoga poses and stretching. And somebody said she was doing cartwheels, which I think that was exaggerated. But, um... But at one point she was like sitting on his lap and they were giggling and kissing. You know, everyone knew her is reacts in very different ways. But this was around some of Meredith's friends and the other two Italian roommates. And they were immediately they were immediately suspect of her. And a lot of it was just her behavior in general seemed kind of cold and um you know there's a lack of sensitivity to it but again 
And I don't know if Amanda Knox is on the spectrum, but if I was a betting woman, I would definitely say that she might be on the spectrum. Some of her some of her first reactions and some of the ways that she was just disconnected a little bit with the true emotion at hand. Um, I don't know if there's a playbook of how you react to such a devastating, horrific situation. But um, soon, um, Amanda and Ravielli, they apparently went back to the police voluntarily on November 5th. Um, or the police had asked them to come in. Again, they were not being told that they were... Um, that they were being suspected of a crime, but at this point, the interrogation became much more aggressive. And they were both split up. So Amanda's in one room, Raffaele's in another room. They um, were not given the option of legal counsel because per Italian law, it mandates that the appointment of a lawyer um, only is provided to someone if they are suspected of a crime. And they were saying, well, they're not suspected of a crime. We're just, you know, they were an effect-finding mission. So neither one of them. Amanda would go on to say that she had asked for... Um, it was a lot of he said, she said at this point. That she had asked for legal counsel and that she had been denied. She would also go on to say that she asked for food, asked for water. That this was several hours used to the bathroom and she had been denied. The Italian police would come on to say, nope, we did offer her all of those things. And that she just was not being agreeable, essentially. So for hours and hours, the cops are questioning her. And they are trying to pit Raffaele up against her. They are truly, truly believing. They're honing in on her and believing that she has something directly to do with the murder of her roommate. And they keep on asking her questions over and over and over. And they're spending a lot of time on her texts the evening of the murder. Because the literal text or the literal meaning of the text from her self to her boss, Patrick, meant, I will see you later tonight. While she was writing it down, or trying to do the, or thinking that the interpretation was very similar to how Americans say, I'll see you later, meaning I will see you whenever. When this interpretation, per Italian grammar or whatever, um, um, made it sound that, no, it specifically means, I will see you later tonight. Again, she was learning the language. She was also not really provided a competent interpreter or one that she could trust during this time. So as forced confessions go, which has happened in many true crime stories, if you know anything about the Central Park Five or the West, um, the West Memphis Three, all these numbers, um, that whole Damien Eccles story, lots of forced confession in there, you know, keeping people for hours and hours and hours in the same room and guiding them 
to a conclusion that is already predetermined by these cops. So they just kept on asking her over and over and over. Did you see Patrick that night? Are you sure Patrick doesn't have something to do with this? This is what she has claimed in her book, which I have read. Waiting to be heard by Amanda Knox. Um, there's also a good one called Honor Bound by Raffaele. And then there is Angel Face. Um, and A Murder in Italy. There's a few. But obviously, if you read the ones written by the couple, it's obviously one-sided, very much in their defense. So, um, again, they're not happy with her response. Essentially, she ends up writing a confession that puts Patrick Lumumba, her boss, in her house. And she says that she, at one point, hears him murdering Meredith. So this goes from, I've been, I was at my boyfriend's all night long, sleeping, to, wait, maybe I really was at my house. And I met up with Patrick, and I let him in the house, and then he, he raped and murdered my roommate. Now, Patrick Lumumba had met Meredith one other time. She, um, he was married and he had children. Um, but she had stopped by Le Chic and she, um, apparently he actually wanted her to work there because she could make really good mojitos and other drinks. He thought she was lovely. But I don't think, I think it was more of a passing conversation with Amanda and it wasn't really anything further from that. So you can imagine how shocked this guy was on November 6th because they arrested him. The Italian police arrested this Patrick Lumumba. He was in he was in jail for three weeks and he lost his livelihood. He lost his his business shut down. He ended up suing um, Amanda, the family. He did get some money, as he rightfully should, for this false accusation. But it fucked up his life for a while. It's really sad. Um, there was absolutely no proof of him anywhere on the scene at all. And he had alibis the entire night. Because, mind you, this is the night that they were so slow at the restaurant, at the bar, probably because it was um, a holiday and the day after... Um, Halloween, which was pretty, probably pretty busy. They were so dead that he told her that she didn't even have to come in that day. So he was probably just, he was working. He didn't need extra help. So um, he ends up getting arrested, though, the same day as Raffaele and Amanda. Um, again, he gets released three weeks later when his alibis all prove up, prove to be um, to show that he, there's no way possible that he was on site, but, um, you know, you can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> it looks horrible. She's accused this, you know, this, um, struggling small business owner who is beloved in town, um, you know, 
immigrant from the Congo. He had set up his life there. He had, you know, married, a, I believe, an Italian woman, had kids, and kind of ruined his life. So, all you know, people are like, she's truly evil. Look, she's just throwing the blame. When they didn't really know the full story of what type of pressure was going on in, in that um, Inquisition, essentially. So, but it was a written confession, and she didn't retract it for a while. Um... And she says in her books that there was a lot of miscommunication about her doing that and if she should retract it. But um, they, in the book, in a couple of the places, the book and some other articles, it shows how she gets very specific. And she's like, oh, I can imagine he's there. It's kind of like she has a daydream in which she's placing him in the house where she's not supposed to be murdering her roommate. It's crazy. So, what is what is um, found though is we brought up Rudy before. So we have some DNA situations <laughs> throughout Meredith's Meredith's room, and by far the most DNA. That is throughout that room, besides Meredith's, is Rudy Godet. So, they come to find out that his blood-stained fingertips are found on the bedding under Meredith's body. He had fled Germany, like, on November 2nd. He had fled to Germany, and then he was extradited back to Italy. Italy. Um, and... While this is happening, <laughs> while this is happening, there's this insane character assassination going on about Amanda. Um, the press is calling her the she-devil and somehow connecting a scenario in which um, she was this, like, you know, seductress who was able to, um, it was like an orgy that went out of hand. There was really no proof at all that any types of things like this were happening. Um, at one point while she's being detained in a prison awaiting trial, just to fuck with her for some reason, um, one of the prison guards, you know, she, they had to take her blood, you know, all of that stuff when she was being admitted, Tells her that she ha- she's HIV positive. At that point, very soon after, she has a prison diary that somehow gets confiscated. Um, it's leaked to the press. And there's this real um, skeezy lawyer named Nick Pisa. And he publishes the entire thing. Which includes, I mean... I think she had sex with seven total people. But she lists in that diary all of those people and, like, what she can recall from that sexual situation. Like, did we use protection or not? And it's also highlighted that she slept with a couple people before, I think, one or two guys when she got to Italy. Again, she was wilding out um, before she met Raffaele. And, of course... They will go to the press, and the prosecution will go on to, like, show that this is a sign of her loose morality. Because they're stuck in a different 
you know, time period. Um, so it's just, it's unprecedented. These like all this pretrial coverage, the Italian public, um, because of a, because of all of this, um, way that she is being created in the media, they absolutely think that she's guilty. They think Raphael is guilty, but they think that she is the mastermind behind all of this. And a best-selling Italian book, um, whose author, like, imagined, truly just fictionalized what they thought happened, was released before the trial. So there was definitely a lot of people in the in this in Italy that just assumed, well, there a book's been out. They didn't they did not have a way to really or they weren't discerning what the truth was from fiction at this point. And um you know, she's already protested too much, they think. They think that they don't like even the way that she's handling anything when she shows up in court for pretrial. They think she smiles too much. They think she's flirting. Every single thing that she is doing is under like a magnifying glass. And it's very different in Italian courts because it's usually they're usually presided over by two judges. And then eventually, if it gets to a much higher level case, six lay judges, which is essentially like your jury in a way. But I think these people have to have a little bit more credentialing. Um, but there's absolutely no sequestering of judges. So all of that information, they can completely be influenced by. And the judge really... Um, helps the prosecutors out. The judges are all, all, all are actually used as somebody who comes in to really put the squeeze on some of um, some of the investigations. So I don't understand how there's not a bias in there. It's crazy. And apparently, I mean, it's not as it's not as much of an in inquisition level that it used to be they reformed this in like 1989 but there's definitely a faction of old school judges and like new school judges and um during this first trial i think that uh in 2007 you had some old school judges um in 2007 getting back to rudy goday you know he was extradited back to italy and all that DNA was everywhere. He was convicted of murder. Um, but the judge decided that they didn't think he had the knife on him. And they don't. They didn't believe he stabbed the victim. Just that he was one of other, a few other people in there. Implying that Amanda and Raffaele. Um, and they gave him 30 years. Ironically, it got reduced to 16. So in 2008, he was found guilty. They just found him guilty of sexual assault and murder. Um, and he was given 30 years. It reduced to 16. And then by 2020, 
he was on work release, time served. So every bit of evidence pointed to this person as murdering this woman. And he was given, what, 12 years in prison for murdering someone? So that's mind-boggling. And it had coverage. The news, you know, the local news covered it. The international news covered it. But they were fixated on Amanda's part in all of this. Even though... There was no real proof that she had any part in it, um, which was kind of really crazy. Um, He also had a story that changed about three times, he being Rudy. The first time he said he had told a friend via Skype, well, I had met Meredith and she invited me into the house and... I was going to the bathroom, hence the shitting, and I heard her screaming and I ran out and apparently he said he saw a man. Later he would imply it would be Raphael and that he tried to save Meredith, um, hence his DNA all over the room. But he freaked out and he left. And that's when he ran to Germany. But he had said in this first retelling, but you know, Amanda wasn't there. Because at this point, she had already been arrested. And he's like, oh, well, she wasn't there at all. I know that. And by the time there's the second and third story, he was like, oh, they were both absolutely there. Or I saw them both leaving. So the story kept on changing. But for some reason, he was given, I, I don't know, he was given more credence than them. Which is really crazy. So they're being held in court and they're being held in prison um, from 2007 on. The first trial, um, so for two years they're in prison. Um, at one point, Raffaele, he's in solitary confinement for at least six months. Um, Amanda's thinking about killing herself. Um, and it's it's looking pretty bleak. At the first trial in 2009, the, um, they would try to convict Raffaele and Amanda for murder, sexual assault, um, carrying a knife, simulating a burglary, theft of 300 euros, two credit cards, two mobile phones, um, I think sexual assault's in there as well. And um, they were convicted. <laughs> um, in 2000, um, in 2000, by 2009, they were convicted. They were sentenced. Amanda was sentenced to 26 years in prison. Raffaele, 25 years. Um, even a homeless man had claimed that Fox and Solicito were in a nearby square at the night of the murder. Um, there was just other crazy things that came out. There was a, uh, a candlelight vigil for Meredith the day after the murder or a couple days after the murder. Now, mind you, this was around the time where Amanda and um, Raffaele were going back and forth in, um, to the 
to the police um, station, but apparently they did not go to it, which did not look good. They just kind of skipped it. I don't believe they were... I don't know what her reasoning was for that. There was also a lot reported that the day after the murder, they were... Her and Raffaele were at a lingerie store and she was buying underwear. And then it would come to find out, well, she couldn't get back to the house yet. So she had to get underwear. So everything was kind of twisted in different ways. Um, And... The, unfortunately, what they were finding that they did find fragments of, of Raffaele's DNA found on one piece of Meredith Kircher's bra clasp, not on the bra, just on that. Now, mind you, this bra clasp was like found 46 days after the murder while people were coming in and out of this murder scene. So... Lots of cross-contamination problems with that. They also had found, um, at one point in Raffaele's house, they found a knife that on the handle had, definitely had Amanda's DNA and on the tip in a very tiny microscopic portion, there was a little bit of Meredith's DNA. Um... That was enough at that time, but it would later come out when there was an independent investigation that it was statistically too small to identify if that was even Meredith's DNA on that. But they were also saying, well, this is definitely the knife. They, they didn't really have a murder weapon, but they thought, well, this one matches close enough. So the prosecution really had painted a story where they believed... Then that night of the murder, Knox had attacked Meredith in her bedroom, repeatedly banged her head against the wall, held her face, taunted her with a knife. There were nicks in her face. And that one of the guys, like, held her down while she was raped by Rudy. And then Amanda sliced her throat open. So this was what they were, the scenario that they were laying out interesting scenario um and they had some evidence they did have some i don't want to say evidence but they had some testimonials from some of meredith's friends and some of the italian the italian roommates that there might have been a few disagreements between amanda and meredith about amanda kind of being a slob kind of leaving her stuff everywhere. This, of course, got exaggerated into the press reporting that Meredith was outraged about how Amanda had such extremely loose morals. No one knows if that's true or not. Um, I think that was something that was just developed out of, you know, another narrative. But... um It was definitely a scenario that the Italian public believed as well. Obviously, from the sentencing in 2009, um, you have the Italians that felt 
true justice was met and in america people are beyond outraged on this the knox family has actually hired their own pr firm and some other independent counsel counsel and the appeal trial begins in 2010 um which enables them to have independent review of dna um by other scientists and that's when they really start bringing up the fact that they think a lot of this evidence has been contaminated and by 2011 (laughs) they are found not guilty through this appeal process Um, around this time is when amanda knox returns home to seattle Raffaele, of course, he's going to return to Bari by this point. Um, But again, because this won't end, there was an ultimate appeal in 2015 heard by the Supreme Court of causation. Um, And again, this was the prosecution still trying to come up with something to convict Amanda and Raffaele. And they ruled that the case um, was without foundation. Italy actually had to pay Amanda Knox around $20,000 for not providing her the lawyer or that competent interpreter. Um, So some things were done after that. Now, at this point in 2015... Um, Amanda Knox was at her home in Seattle when she found out about this last appeal. But she had she refused at this point to return to Italy. Um, she's like, I'm not returning there. And she was, you know, while Raffaele was in court. So I can't imagine how scary that had to be, you know, had to be for him. Um but again, Rudy Goudet, as of 2020, is out. There's nobody really paying for this murder of this woman. So the Kircher family still truly believes that Amanda had something to do with this murder. They think that she has too many inconsistencies in her story. Um, apparently, Meredith had written letters to some friends about how I don't know how exaggerated this is or not, about how she didn't really care for Amanda, didn't really like her attitude or personality, things of that nature. Again, two very different people. You don't have to love the people that you are put together with into uh, a roommate situation all the time. Um, but the Kircher family definitely, and you can imagine, feels slighted in all of this because... Who's really paid for this, um, this crime? Not really anyone. Um, there's a, as I said before, there is a really bad movie, Lifetime movie, a 2011 Hayden Panettiere movie. I will put the link in, or the trailer on the website because it's worth watching, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of books. There's even a book by John Kircher, Meredith, Meredith's father, Meredith R., Daughter's Murder, The Heartbreaking Quest for the Truth, and The Fatal Gift of Beauty, 
the trials of Amanda Knox um, in 2011 by Nina Burleigh. That one is very much essentially saying that the Italians, they just, um, essentially because Amanda's such a, an attractive woman, um, it was easy to pin this murder on her. So it's a very affectionate portrait of her. Um, Amanda would also go on, she went on a spree of interviews and she'd go on a big one with Diane Sawyer in 2013, um, murder mystery, Amanda Knox speaks on 2020, which, um, is pretty interesting. A lot has been said, and if you go on YouTube, you'll see it, but a lot has been said over the years about Amanda's mannerisms, Amanda's way that she reacts to things that sometimes she says no and she shakes her head yes. So there's a lot of um, body language experts out there that have many opinions on Amanda Knox, which is interesting. I myself think she's peculiar as fuck, to be honest. I just, um, and I think she does love I think she likes being out in front of the camera. I think she likes... I think she has a bit of narcissism in her. Um, that she really does kind of like to be... She has not... You know, she has not went and lived a quiet life in the Seattle, Washington area. Um, she's been pretty vocal and she's... Um, People were very angry about both her book that she had profited from and the Netflix documentary, the 2016 Amanda Knox documentary, because they were like, well, this is so biased. So there was a lot of, although it's definitely worth watching, um, it, you know, you're not, you're not getting a lot of Meredith the Kircher side in there because they aren't really interviewed. There's clips from them, but they're not interviewed for the documentary, which you can understand why. Um, and, you know, she's she has become kind of a darling in the Innocence Project world now. Amanda has. And um, that's angered a lot of people. You know, um, because they do not believe that she should be elevated at this level. Mind you, she was 20 years old and terrified and, um, you know, dealing with this inquisition level in a different country when she didn't really know the language well. So I think that there's a lot of factors that people also forget about that. Um, certainly, but this was also a trial by media and the amount that this court was influenced by false stories, by exaggerations, by incorrect narratives was absolutely devastating. And the, um, and the way that they tried to turn her into this sexual deviant who choreographed the murder of a roommate that she knew less than a month and a half does not it seems very suspect to me, especially for somebody who had absolutely no type of violent past, nor did Raphael, um, honestly. 
Um, but I do think that her, over the years, her behaviors have been odd. Um, absolutely. And to this day, people forget about the woman that was murdered in all of this. Um, they also forget about Rudy Guadet and the fact that the only person who had, I mean, the only person with direct forensic evidence against him was really Rudy Guadet, while the other stuff out there, the circumstantial evidence of Amanda and Raffaele was very circumstantial in my perspective. Um, but I think it shows, I think it shows you, you know, those first things that you do on some, at a crime scene are hugely impactful. And it's just very interesting that she has in the last couple months shown she can't stay out of the news. So she, anyone who wanted to interview her about Stillwater, she was out there talking to people, outraged, pissed off about this movie. Just months ago, she was not defending um, <laughs> the leader of Nexium, but who is a truly devious person, a devil. Um, but she was saying that and I think it was how it was worded, but she was pretty much saying that the his conviction was far too harsh from what he got. Because I do think he has like, it's like a lifetime sentence, of course, but you know, it's like sex trafficking and some other crimes against humanity that he's responsible for. But it was, it was a bad, it, it looked bad. It looked very bad. It was one of those things where it's like, Amanda, you don't have to make a comment about Nexium and also about this man who victimized these women. And it was shocking because she is somebody who has been victimized by men. <laughs> in this case, especially with the Meredith Kircher case in Perugia, she was, I mean... The male prosecutor, Juliana Magnini, tried to turn her into this femme fatale, murderous, blonde-haired, blue-eyed devil. And so for her to come to the defense of um, Keith Ranieri from Nexium was shocking. So I don't know if that was taken out of context. I have no idea. But I'm like, this is not a person that you want to add to your Innocence Project, Amanda. Um, the latest thing about Amanda Knox is she is, her and her husband are about to have a baby. She has uh, been very vocal about her infertility issues. And she has been um, going on many different podcasts. She was on the Whitney Cummings podcast. She was on a couple other podcasts so she again not shy not shy with the media these days um but i would highly recommend if you have not watched before definitely check out the netflix documentary from 2016 amanda knox even though it's you know 
definitely in her camp. Um, but if you want to YouTube the murder mystery Amanda Knox Speaks from 2020, that is pretty interesting. There's also another one with Chris Cuomo in interview, and he was really, he was really um, criticized about it. Uh, more so than Diane Sawyer because he was he kept on bringing up all the sex stuff like like really what was going on and did you bring back all these men to your apartment is that the reason why you and Meredith didn't get along all this crazy stuff um, but the Raffaele Solicito um, book Honor Bound is pretty good um, and there's another one out there um, the, the, shoot, where is it? It's like murder in Italy, but it's, it's a pretty interesting, it's a pr pretty interesting take and it's different things. It's different things that weren't brought up before, but I will try to list some of these on the website if people are interesting interested but if you're wondering why you keep on hearing anything in regards to the movie Stillwater and Amanda Knox <laughs> that is why after this very long podcast of me explaining it so yes one of the more captivating true crime stories that are out there and probably like the cautionary tale when any <laughs> when any American kid wants to go um, and study abroad. I, I, I can see them like definitely bringing up this Amanda Knox case. If this would have happened around the time that I wanted desperately to travel to Spain, um, which I did not, which was laughed at when I brought it up to my parents because I really wanted to go my junior year. Um, <laughs> the If if this Amanda Knox trial had happened at that time, it would have been brought up as proof of why I couldn't go. They'd be like, well, that shit's going to happen to you. Which I would hope it would not happen to me, but I could see this as being a very large fear for parents. Um, so, yeah. Check out all of those things. Go on the website, popcultureperstephanie.com to learn a little bit more about this case and the different types of pop culture connections to this case. Always fascinating. Um, either next week or the week after, hopefully next week, um, there might be, I, I might have to be doing a little bit of travel, so I might not be able to. Um, we will be talking about F-Boy Island. Yes. I've watched every episode. It's amazing. I stand by that. I stand by that. I'll be bringing on a very special guest to discuss this. So it will be much lighter fare next time we speak. Thank you, Popsters. And until next time.